0: You're listening to Equipped, the preaching ministry of First Baptist Dry Prong in Dry Prong, Louisiana. Today, we continue and finish our series on the book of Esther. This message is entitled, Fight the Good Fight. It comes from Esther's chapters 9 and 10. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy. We're going to continue today, actually, we're going to finish today the, the book of Esther now, I know a lot of y'all have been traveling and been on vacation. Summer's kind of winding to an end. Uh, sorry, school teachers, but thank goodness for me because I'm looking forward to cooler weather. I'm looking forward to football. I'm looking forward, to hopefully, some rain, and I'm looking forward to to having uh, some consistency back. But anyway, y'all, a lot of people have been gone, so I want to encourage you if you want to go back and, and listen to these. These sermons, you can always go look on Facebook or you can go on our podcast and you can hear what we've talked about in every single chapter thus far. Today, it's all going to come to a close. Uh, Esther 9 is, um, I think it's like 30, 32 verses and chapter 10 is just a couple of verses. So we're going to cover it all today. Today's the, the final battle we're going to see that happens. Let me ask y'all a question today. Do you ever feel like your life is just kind of in a constant battle? It may seem strange to hear from from a pastor, but I know, I will tell you, I feel like my life sometimes is just a constant battle. It seems like like sometimes the, the whole world is just against me, like specifically against me. And what's crazy is that that seems to happen Simply, for when I do, everything that I know is right. Standing on the truths of God's holy word. I could almost understand it if I was one of these guys that that did drugs, if I got drunk, if I was abusive, if I was in jail. But that just doesn't seem to be the case. It seems like the more that I stand for what's right and against what's wrong, it seems like the more resistance that that I get. And the truth is that, that I don't think we should be surprised about that because when I read in Scripture... I see all over that that Christians are in a real spiritual battle. And that we're not called to be bench warmers. We're not called to be idle. We're called to be soldiers. We're called to be soldiers for Christ and His army. We're called to be a people who stand up boldly for what's right and stand against what is wrong. There's a right way and a wrong way to do that, of course. But as we go through the book of Esther, we've talked about a lot of stuff we've seen. But what I want to share with you is kind of a review. What I want to tell you, we've not seen a a real physical battle take place yet. But if you go back and you read in Esther, what I believe you'll see is just kind of a a battle going on behind the scenes. Because people have done, God's people have done nothing but what is right. I mean, you think about Esther, just her life in general. Esther's obviously a godly woman, a God-fearing woman, because she calls on the people to pray and to fast. Yet all that went on in Esther's life, she was an orphan. She was a Hadesa. She was raised by her cousin. She's living in a land of exile. What a battle that must have been for her. And then you think of Mordecai. Mordecai, a godly man, once again living in exile. Now he's taking on the burden, doing the right thing by raising uh, his cousin Esther, raising her in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. He's such a godly man that, that he stands up and he protects the king's life. And yet, how is, Mormon, uh, how is Haman repaid? He's not even noticed. And then Mordecai. Later on, we read that he's so godly he decides. You know what? I'm not going to bow. I'm not going to pay homage to this man Haman. I'm going to stay true to God and His Word. And how is Haman repa- Or how is Mordecai repaid for that? There's a decree that goes out to wipe out all of his family, everybody he loves, all of his people. Mordecai keeps the faith. Esther goes before the king, and, and everything. They're they're just constantly doing what's right. And they're constantly met with resistance. Later on, Mordecai once again says, I'm not going to bow down to Haman. God's going to work this all out somehow, some way. And then what happens? Then there's a decree to hang Mordecai simply for doing what's right. And things keep building and keep building. And at this point in the story, Haman, this wicked man that, that threw out this plot, he has been hung. Mordecai's been promoted. The king has granted Esther and Mordecai their request to write a new decree to defend themselves on this great and final battle. So even though there's not been a a literal battle take place yet, I want to share with you. They have been fighting a fight all along. And today it all ends in Esther 9. And that's what I want to call this message is fight the good fight. And I want to I hope that you leave here today. Better equipped to fight the good fight, and I hope you leave here today knowing that that you'll be victors. So, with that background in mind, let me read the first seventeen verses of Esther chapter nine. Now, in the twelfth month, that is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day, the time came for the king's command and his decree to be executed. On the day that the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, the opposite occurred, in that the Jews themselves overpowered those who hated them. The Jews gathered together in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. And no one could withstand them because fear of them fell upon all people. And all the officials of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and all those doing the king's work helped the Jews because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. For Mordecai was great in the king's palace and his fame spread throughout all the provinces for this man Mordecai became increasingly prominent thus the Jews defeated all their enemies with the stroke of the sword with the slaughter and destruction and did what they pleased with those who hated them and in Shushan the citadel the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men And I'm going to mispronounce this, I know I am, but also in Parzantha, Dauphin, Aspatha, Paratha, Adelia, Aradatha, Parmashta, Arasa, Ardea, and Bajisatha, the ten sons of Haman, the sons of Hamadetha, the enemy of the Jews, they killed, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. On that day, the number of those who were killed in Shusan the citadel was brought to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, The Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men in Shusan the citadel. And the ten sons of Haman, what have they done in the rest of the king's promises? Now, what is your petition? It shall be granted to you. Or what is your further request? It shall be done. Then Esther said, If it pleases the king, let it be granted to the Jews who are in Shushan to do again tomorrow, according to today's decree. And let Haman's ten sons be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded this to be done. The decree was issued in Shusan, and they hanged Haman's ten sons. And the Jews who were in Shusan gathered together again on the fourteenth day of the month of Adar, and killed three hundred men at Shusan, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. The remainder of the Jews in the king's provinces gathered together and protected their lives, had rest from their enemies, killed seventy five thousand of their enemies, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. This was on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th of the month they rested and made, made it a day of feasting and gladness. So we'll stop here and we see what's happened is exactly what Mordecai knew was going to happen all along. This happened on the day where they cast the lot all the way back in Esther chapter 3, verse 7. Just a couple of truths I want to share with you from this passage that are pretty obvious. Number one is that God's enemies are defeated and God's enemies will be defeated. In these verses, we see quite plainly that has happened. And what we see here, what we see here is what Mordecai absolutely knew would happen all along. He said it just verbatim in Esther chapter 4, verse 14, that relief and deliverance would come He didn't know if it would be through Esther. He didn't know if it would be somewhere else. But he said, you know what? I'm staking my my hope on God and God's Word that he's going to be faithful. Mordecai knew the people would be delivered and he knew the enemies of God would ultimately be defeated. We look back today and church, I'll tell you, I see example after example of men and women, even angels, we tried to stand up and stand against God Almighty only to be utterly destroyed and demolished. Throughout this series, we've talked about several examples of people like Esther and like Mordecai who stood up and they came out as victors. We've not talked a whole lot about enemies of God. But church, let me just tell you, as sure as, as God's people will be victorious, God's enemies will be defeated. I go back to Exodus and I think about Pharaoh. God raises up a man, Moses, and Moses lays it all out. Let my people go, God says. And Pharaoh fights against God. Plague after plague and thing after thing happening. And headed Pharaoh says, no, 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 no. Ultimately, Pharaoh gets defeated. I think of the book of Joshua. Go read the book of Joshua sometime. And you see people that that already know about the the parting of the sea, not once, but twice. And then people group after people group, they fight against Joshua, God and God's people. They're defeated every time. Go read in Judges. Go read about Gideon and his Valiant 300. All over the Bible, we see people who try to stand up against God's people and they're defeated. And in Revelation, much like we read here, there's a final battle coming. A great battle that will take place. And I want to tell you, God's enemies will be defeated then as well. The point point of this text is really quite simple. You cannot fight God and win. So when you get up and you get ready to go fight the good fight, you better be sure you're on the right side. In this passage, in these 17 verses, there is no middle ground here. There's either the right side or the wrong side. You're either an enemy or an ally of our sovereign God in Christ our King. And let me tell you, God's enemies are going to be defeated. There is no victory. No victory outside of a relationship with Christ. This book has shown us that, boy, it looked good for Haman, climbing the ladder, getting all the way up in in the king's court, only to be killed on the gallows that he made for Mordecai. So church, I just pray today. I pray today you're not an enemy of the cross, but an ally. I pray today that you'll realize that you do indeed reap what you sow. All of these people did. I pray you'll choose the right side of the battle. The second truth we see is, is what we knew would happen all along. Is that God's people rise up and God's people are victorious. God's people will be victorious. Against all odds, God's people rise up and win the battle. Well, you can see some of the, some of the numbers on here. Hundreds and thousands of people. The odds just are stacked against them. And, they, and once again, they've known this day was coming for a year now. And for nine months, they've known it was going to be a battle because they knew the Jews had a right to fight and win. Church, let me just remind you that God's people are and will be victorious. This battle that Mordecai and Esther and the Jews were were dealing with then, the battle that we're dealing with, it still continues today. But let me assure you, like I did last week, victory is assured. If you have Christ, you have the victory. There is no losing for the Christian. It's just not there. I can tell you with, with all the confidence in the wide world, I hope it doesn't happen, but, but even if the worst happens, if I get diagnosed with terminal cancer tomorrow, church, cancer won't win. It'll die with my body. I'll reign with Christ forever. These fires that are going around that are demolishing everything, if the worst happens, and I pray God it doesn't, but if the worst happens and it were to consume everything and Grant Parish, we still have victory in Jesus. And in this passage, we see another beautiful, beautiful truth that we've really not even talked about. In this passage, something that Mordecai knew and something that Mordecai stood on is that God keeps His promises. God promised Abraham a long time ago that generations would come from him. God promised that he would be there for the Jewish people. God keeps His promises. And in today's today's time on the other side of the cross, let me just remind you Christians, While we're fighting the good fight, I want you to know that Christians are promised an eternity of peace. We're promised an eternity of hope, eternity of love. We're promised God's Holy Spirit. We're promised victory. Don't you forget this morning that if you are on Christ's side, you're on the winning side and God's going to keep his promises. He's going to see you through the battle. He's going to see us all through as victors, no matter what's going on around us. So look, may we look at this and may we, may we be like the Jews were, like they knew nine months ago. May we stand up, stand up for Jesus. May we be onward Christian soldiers. May we tell people the harsh truth and deal with the consequences and fight the good fight because we're the victors. And that's how the final battle played out. Now, let's talk a little bit about what they did after the battle. It starts in verse 18. It says, but the Jews... Who were at Shusan assembled together on the 13th day as well as on the 14th, and on the 15th of the month they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages who dwelt in the unwalled towns celebrated the 14th day of the month of Adar with gladness and feasting as a holiday and for sending presents to one another. And Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters to all the Jews near and far who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, to establish among them that they should celebrate yearly the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar, as the days on which the Jews had rest from their enemies, as the month which was turned from sorrow to joy for them and from mourning to a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and joy, of sending presents to one another and gifts to the poor, so the Jews accepted the custom which they had begun as Mordecai had written to them. Because Haman, the son of Hamadetha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to annihilate them and to cast pure, that is, the lot, to consume and destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letter that this wicked plot which Haman had devised against the Jews should return on his own head, that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. So they called these days Purim after the name Pure. Therefore, because of all the words of this letter, what they had seen concerning this matter and what happened to them, the Jews established and imposed it upon themselves and their descendants and all who would join them, that without fail, they should celebrate these two days every year according to the written instructions, according to the prescribed time that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every family, every province, every city, and that these days of Purim should not fail to be observed among the Jews, and that the memory of them should not perish among their descendants. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihel with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter about Purim, and Mordecai sent letter to all the Jews the 127 promises of the King, kingdom of Ahasuerus with words of peace and truth to confirm these days of Purim at their appointed time as Mordecai, the Jew, and Queen Esther had prescribed for them and as they decreed for themselves and their descendants concerning matters of their fasting and lamenting. So the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim and it was written in the book. If you go back and you read and Esther chapter 3. It's in chapter 3, verse 7. It says, In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of Ahasuerus, they cast pure—that that is, a lot, before Haman, to determine the day and the month until it fell in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. What this is all about is, is the Feast of Purim. And what really the point of this today is that God's people, Esther and Mordecai, knew that God's people are to Remember. Not to live in the past, but we're to remember. It's pure. This is a lot. And it's a dice. And, and I put it on the screen this morning because I really thought it was really cool. The, the top one is kind of modern ones they have that they, they cast. But the bottom one is one archaeologist. Archaeologist. If I can say it, had found. Excuse me. But anyway, archaeologists, That's right. Have found that's what they actually cast. In Esther 3, chapter 7, they cast this lot and this was the date that came on, the 13th day of Adar that sealed their faith. The Feast of Purim is something that Jews partake in even today. This year it began on March 6. They celebrate it much like we just read in in the the text. They make cookies now, nicknamed after Haman. They they eat a meal, they give gifts, and they all remember the story of Queen Esther and Mordecai, and Haman. And they do this because I, I believe Esther and Mordecai knew this to be true, that humans are just so prone to forget. Which is why they made it, so they wouldn't forget. But they would never forget God's sovereign hand of protection over them. Now today, we as Christians, we don't celebrate Purim. If you want to, then by all means, go ahead. I'm, I'm actually thinking about it next spring. I do have an Esther in my family after all. But whether you celebrate it or not, one thing we should not do, one thing we should never, ever, ever do is forget the truths that we have learned from Esther and Mordecai and even King Ahasuerus. We read this and we read Scripture and, and the things we do in church is part of it is to remember all the truths in God's Word. Never forget, church. Never forget the truths of this book. Never forget that God is in control. No matter what's happening around you, don't you forget that Esther and Mordecai has shown us that crystal clear. Don't you ever forget that, that even though he's not mentioned by name, even though his voice isn't audibly heard, don't you ever forget that he's working out his master plan in a great, grand, and awesome fashion in ways we can't even comprehend. Don't you forget, look, this is important. Don't you forget that, that God is in control of who's in control? God saved his people by using an ungodly pagan king to get Esther and Mordecai into power. Don't you forget that. So let me tell you something. Come November 15th, I better not see any sour faces in here over how the election went because we got who God wanted us to have. End of story. We'll vote, we'll speak our mind, and we'll do all that stuff. But at the end of the day, don't you forget God's in control of who's in control. Don't you forget that, that God chooses and uses the most unlikely of people. It's just so amazing that God can take somebody like Esther, an orphan, a Jew, and put her in the palace of a Persian king in Mordecai too. Don't you forget that God uses the most unlikely of people. Let me tell you something. If you feel that God's calling you to serve First Baptist Dry Prong, don't you use the excuse that I don't feel qualified because God doesn't always call the equipped. He equips the call. He gave gave Esther and he gave Mordecai everything they needed. And I would rather have a person that God calls than a person I call. So don't forget that. Don't you forget that God's enemies will be defeated. Even death will be defeated. Don't you forget that God's people will emerge victorious. Don't forget the great love that God has for you and for me and for his people. And on this side of the cross, church, don't forget the sacrifice, the fully God, fully man Jesus Christ made on that old rugged cross. Don't you forget it. And may I just add one more? Don't you forget, don't you forget that that at any minute, he is coming back for you and for me, flying or dying, we're going home. You see, when we remember, we're able to get up and we're able to fight that good fight because we know God's in control. We know that we may not hear him, we may not see him, but we know he's working something out. We may not understand it. We know we'll be victors. We know God's enemies will be defeated. So we're ready to go into battle. Let's finish the book of Esther. There's only two verses, I think, in Esther chapter 10. Excuse me, three verses. And this is how the book ends. It's in Esther chapter 10, verse 1. And King King Ahasuerus imposed tribute on the land and on the islands of the sea. Now all the acts of his power and his might and the account of the greatness of Mordecai to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second to King Ahasuerus and was great among the Jews and well received by the multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people and speaking peace to all his countrymen. What I would like you to make note of here is that God rewards His faithful servants. I look at this and we we call the book Esther. But really, you could almost call it Mordecai. Because Mordecai was faithful from the very beginning. And if you think about it, if you go all the way back and you read through Esther, we watch Mordecai go through an amazing process here. And it's much like us as believers. It's much like that happens in the life of a believer. We give our life to Christ and we start going and we start growing. That process we call sanctification. The process of God taking us from one way, making us a new creature. And then before we know it, we're, we're doing things, we're serving the church in ways we didn't even know possible. Mordecai has gone from a, a timid, God-fearing man to now being a leader placed in authority. People are looking at him and they're admiring him. He has fought the good fight all along. The the Mordecai in chapter 10 looks far different than the Mordecai in chapter 2. He's grown. He's matured in his faith. Now I just want to tell you church, that should be us all. Your life as a believer should look Way different a year after your conversion. You should be growing. You should be serving. It's the saddest thing to me. And I'm just going to be honest. I, I really wonder about a lot of people who claim to be Christians who life, whose life doesn't look any different a year, two years, ten years, twenty years after they gave their life to Christ. Something's wrong in that. And I have to wonder if the, if the decision, if they didn't do nothing but but repeat some words because as a believer, we should be growing. We should be leading. So here's the question. So, Brother Kevin, are you telling me, are you really telling me that God wants me to be a leader? How can I do that? I've not been to seminary. I don't know the Bible. Well, let me answer it. First off, yes, God does want you to be a leader. Second off, believe it or not, Everybody in this place, you are already a leader. My five-year-old is leading my three-year-old. She picks up on his good habits and bad habits just naturally. It's the same for me. They're watching me. People are watching you. You are leading people and you are following people. So how do we be godly leaders like Mordecai? And I really think I really think, we get a good picture of the way the book ends. The characteristics of a godly leader in verse 3. How it ends, it, it says uh, he was second to King of Ahasuerus, great among the Jews, well received by the multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people and speaking peace to all his countrymen. If you want to be a godly leader, and if you're going to pick a godly leader to follow, this is the kind of man kind of woman, you should be looking to follow him. This is a man that, that sought the welfare, sought the good of his people, and he spoke peace to the people. He sought welfare and he sought good for them because he loved them. He loved them. Look, and you're looking for a leader, you don't need to find a leader that's just going to tell you everything you want to hear. You don't need to find a leader that does everything you want them to do. You need to find a leader that loves you, and you need to be a kind of leader that loves the people. And may I just tell you, friends in church, you're not loving, you're not loving your people by condoning or celebrating their sin. This goes for for the church member, this goes for the loss. What kind of pastor would I be if I, if I said, I love you and I'm just going to celebrate this divorce or I'm going to celebrate uh, th- this sin. I'm going to celebrate this hate. I'm going to celebrate this sin or that sin. You're not loving somebody by doing that. And you're not concerned about their welfare. You're not concerned about their good. If you're content with somebody going to hell, that's crazy. Why would you follow somebody like that? And why would you want to be a leader like that? You're not concerned with somebody's welfare if you're content with them being an enemy to God Almighty. I'll go back to the beginning. When you do these kind of things out of love, usually it's a battle. But it's the the right thing to do and the hardest thing to do usually goes hand in hand. But we do it because we love people. That's what Mordecai did. He sought the good of his people. And also he spoke peace to people. How do you speak peace to people? Well, I would say this. You speak peace to people. If you know Jesus, you know peace. So one may say, speak, teach, and preach Jesus to the people. If you know Jesus, you know peace. Only through a relationship with Jesus can one know true peace. And now we've read through the whole book of Esther. Man, how good it has been to see how God works behind the scenes. Just like we've done every chapter, let me close the day by just sharing the gospel how I see it. Let me share the gospel how I see it today, not only through a chapter or two chapters, let me share it with how I see it through the whole book. I would say it this way that God chooses and God saves those who trust in him. He promised He promised and He promises victory to His chosen. He literally takes somebody that's one way and transforms them and makes them another way. He takes somebody from rags to riches. He takes somebody that's an orphan that that doesn't know uh, biological parents. He takes somebody that's growing up in a house and puts them in a palace. He takes a whole group of people that looks totally hopeless and then totally flips it to where now everything is hopeful. He takes the people that are full of anxiety and full of stress and He gives them His perfect, perfect peace. And all that is done today by simply going to God in full submission, going to the King of Kings and just repenting of our wickedness, repenting of our sins, asking Christ to take it away and asking Him to give us what we don't deserve, His righteousness. And He is happy to do that. The Bible says... Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Does that mean it's all a bed of roses from now on out? No, it doesn't mean that. So let me just close the day by sharing the words that Paul wrote. Timothy, I put it in your bulletin. Paul, as a believer, somebody that has been saved, somebody that, that's, that's grown in the faith, somebody that looks far different, a really true believer, The last words we have recorded for him, he told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved His appearing. That's the Gospel. Are you fighting the good fight? Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I hope you understood it. I hope you've identified ways that you can apply the truths found in today's message and in the book of Esther to your life. I hope you remember that God's enemies are and will be defeated. God's people are and will be victorious. I hope that you'll remember that God's people are to remember. Remember God's sovereignty. Remember that God rewards His faithful servants. And remember the characteristics of a godly leader. If you've enjoyed this podcast, if you enjoyed today's sermon, I encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this message with somebody else who could hear it. I hope you'll come join us from worship sometime at First Baptist Drive Prong. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. for worship. Have a great week.